It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome back, everybody. It's good to have you here today on the show, Francis Jackson. Francis Jackson is an attorney who specializes in disability law for those seeking veterans' disability benefits as well as Social Security disability benefits. A founding partner of Jackson McNichol, he most recently appeared as a guest of Ben Glass on the Consumer Advocate Show discussing benefits for veterans and Social Security disability benefits and how his practice allows him to make the difference in the lives of people facing these disabilities. Francis has been featured on NBC, CBS, ABC, and Fox network affiliates around the country. He's also been quoted in USA Today and is listed in Cambridge's Cambridge Who's Who. Francis was honored in the, uh, by the National Academy of Bestselling Authors with a Quilly Award for his contribution as a joint author to the best-selling book, Protect and Defend, where he wrote about protecting one's rights to veterans' disability compensation. In 2017, Mr. Jackson was inducted into America's Most Trusted Lawyers for his outstanding work in disability law. As always, for more information, please visit VeteransBenefits.com, VeteransBenefits.com. Francis Jackson, welcome back. Thanks so much, Bert. It's always nice to be here with you. Thank you, man. And I wanted to jump right into this and talk about uh, this. Uh, there was a, I understand that there was a recent Supreme Court case dealing with veterans' issues, and I wanted to see what, what you could tell us about that. Sure. Um, interesting split on the court, but uh, the case is called George versus McDonough, and Kevin George is a uh, gentleman who joined the Marines in 1975 um, and made a, uh, a claim for benefits, uh, which was turned down and uh, persisted and was later granted. But um, the, the issue in his case is this. The Veterans Benefits Law has a provision that says that if the Veterans Administration processed the case in a way that was inconsistent with the facts or the law as they existed at the time that it processed the case, then there's a provision for reopening that case and getting benefits back to the date that they got it wrong. So in Mr. George's case, the issue was that there was a particular regulation um, which arguably was correctly applied at the time. Many years later, the courts decided that the regulation was not a valid regulation, that it didn't properly uh, accomplish what Congress had intended in the statute that authorized the regulation. Gotcha. So, um, so Mr. George went back and said, gee, guys, you should reopen my prior application under clear and unmistakable error because this regulation was improper and it's now been correctly interpreted. And if it had been correctly interpreted and applied back then, I've gotten benefits. And the court said, 
No. Uh, essentially, the court said, look, the fact that someone figures out later that the regulation wasn't right and says that uh, the regulation should be, well, the statute underlying the regulation should be interpreted differently or the regulation should be interpreted differently is not something that we're going to let you go back on. They said that clear and unmistakable error requires that either the law as it existed then was not correctly applied or the facts as they were known then were not correctly applied. His claim, of course, was about the law, the regulation. And what the, what the court said was, look, we're not going to let you take advantage of the fact that 20 years later, the regulation was interpreted differently than when it was applied in your case and go back and get 20 years worth of benefits. If you thought the regulation was incorrectly applied back then, you should have raised it back then. You, you know, we're not, we're not going to go behind the interpretation of the regulation. But it's a very interesting split on the court. The, the majority opinion was written by the new justice, uh, Amy Coney Barrett. And she said that, you know, an agency changing the interpretation of the law or regulation wasn't a clear and unmistakable error. Uh, you know, the VA concedes that the regulation was initially wrong. But that doesn't change the basic principle, saying that the decision wasn't wrong under the law as it existed then. Um, and so she, um, she, wrote, <clears throat> she wrote that the correct application of a binding regulation does not constitute clear and unmistakable error at the time the decision was rendered, even if that regulation was subsequently invalidated. So that's... Um, that's where the majority came out. Now, right. the interesting part is that one of the Trump appointees, Justice Gorsuch, said that's not right. He, he said that the, the VA's failure to provide Mr. George uh, a new hearing based on the new interpretation was what he described as inexcusable. And he said that uh, the majority opinion uh, was likely to have wider reaching implications, and he said that no agency should be immune when making decisions that are incorrect. Um, And so he said that even if an agency's unlawful regulations bind its own employees until the court says otherwise, that doesn't mean its decision applying those regulations to others is error-free. So anyway, uh, the the long and short of it was that Mr. George lost, uh, lost six to three, but um, it was it was interesting to, to to those of us who were interested in the, in the mechanics of the law that Gorsuch was one of the dissenters, and also um, there was a separate dissent by Justice Sotomayor, who said that uh, agencies shouldn't be able to rely on their own mistakes to prevent to protect them from further claims. And her her phrasing was the the mere fact that the board relied on a plainly invalid regulation should not shield its final decision from review based on clear and unmistakable error. But sadly for Mr. George, that's where it came out. So um, for those so it who didn't really uh, help him. Didn't didn't help him. He lost, it, and uh, he had he had lost at the. Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims and at the Federal Circuit and 
took it all the way to the Supreme Court and still lost. So for those who uh, who are interested, the case is called George versus McDonough, and the Supreme Court decided it on June 15th of this year. You can find it on the Internet. Um, it's pretty pretty readily available. But um, it, it was a disappointing decision, not not a surprising decision, but a disappointing decision from the, the point of view of those of us who practice veterans' benefits law because had it gone the other way, it would have uh, provided relief for a number of veterans who um, were not sophisticated enough to know to challenge these regulations back when they lost and only later got attorneys and um, looked at uh, why the regulations uh, were bad. So it's it's just... Uh, uh, it's an unfortunate uh, uh, result, I think, but uh, it's, you know, as, as you know, the, uh, there's an old saying that the Supreme Court is uh, not final because infallible, but infallible because final. Uh, <laughs> I had not heard that. That's hysterical and unfortunately true. <laughs> that's yep, terrible. That's the way it was. Yeah. All right. So, so, um, not to, uh, show my utter ignorance to everything you just said and just to, I guess, uh, dumb it down for us who are not, uh, as savvy with the law. Uh, what does this mean, uh, moving forward? What does this mean for veterans or, or for your types uh, for your clients? Does it mean that you know what? I'm not even a guess. Just to be transparent, what does it mean going forward? Sure. sure. Uh, what, it, what it means, Bert, is that lots of folks who got turned down in the past are, are stuck with those denials. Um, as you and I have uh, talked about in Veterans Law, the, the good news is that pretty much the way that system is structured, if you got turned down improperly in the past, you can go back and ask for benefits currently. Um, but what this case was about was trying to get not only the benefits currently, but back to the point in time when uh, the claim was originally turned down. I, I'm, it, don't, don't hold me to this because I'm doing this off the top of my head, but my recollection is that in Mr. George's case, he was turned down like 20 years ago. So it would have been 20 years of, of back benefits had he prevailed at the Supreme Court, but he didn't. And gotcha. what, it, what, it really, uh, what it really underscores is that if you bring a claim for veterans benefits and you get turned down, you really need to pursue that claim, appeal it, um, raise the, uh, the impropriety in the regulation in, in his case um, at the time and what is what is sad is that a lot of veterans over the years have gotten turned down and were not sophisticated enough to understand that they should appeal. Um, you know, we we see these cases all the time where someone comes to us and they've been turned down uh, often years ago, and people will tell them, "Oh, don't appeal; it takes too long. File a new claim." Well, you can file a new claim in most cases. Um, you have to have new evidence, but you, you can usually come up with something that will fit within the scope and, and let you reopen the claim. Uh, 
But the problem is, say you made the claim in 2018. It's now 2022. You've been right. turned down. If you don't appeal and you just file a new claim, your claim for benefits starts today when you file the new claim. If you appeal and you ultimately win, you get benefits back to 2018. And that's four years worth of benefits that have just gone down the tube, if you will, um, if you reapply rather than appealing. And I, it's, it's unfortunate, but we get cases just literally all the time where that's what's happened to people. They don't understand the importance of appealing and they reapply or worse, um, they get discouraged and just give up and don't uh, don't come back to it for years. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but it happens a lot. Yeah. And and you'll hear this a lot. Uh, and, and sometimes uh, or yeah, you'll hear it a lot from like uh, personal injury uh, attorneys that advertise on TV where they'll say things like, hey, your case has a limited time uh, or your case could expire and then you get nothing. And this is one of those things where, you know, the, the average person doesn't realize that that their claim it does or can expire if you don't, as you said, keep it moving and you have to go through the process, even though it's in some cases can be horribly long. And, and I, I know that uh, you and I have talked about sometimes uh, your clients become impatient because, you know, they've been waiting two, three, four, five years, and they're going through this process, and, it, and, and you know, they're ready to give up because they don't see the light at the tunnel. It's true, Bert. It's, it's, uh, it's sad how slowly these cases move. You know, and, and what happens a lot, I mean, I, I, I just hear this over and over from clients is they'll, they, uh, they apply, somebody else applies, the other guy gets granted, they don't get granted, and they, you know, either say, well, um, gee, you know, he got granted and I should have been granted and I don't understand why the VA turned me down. Well, obviously the cases weren't exactly alike or it you know, one of you wouldn't have got the results you got. But right. um, the the uh, the point that you were making, I think, is really an important one. So it, it is so sad that so many people get turned down and just don't understand the importance of pursuing the claim. You know, the, the VA system is actually relatively forgiving comparatively. Um, unlike the uh, the personal injury case, you often can go back and start a new claim at least, whereas with a personal injury case, if you let the time expire, you can never go back. But uh, the, the VA system is more forgiving in that way. You, you probably can um, pick up the claim later, but it, it just, you will lose out on the, on the benefits that you would have gotten in the interim had you pursued it. That's the, that's the big loss. And for some people, that, that adds up to a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Um, let me ask you this. Um, I know that uh, you recently mentioned that the VA is trying to automate certain claims. Uh, can you provide uh, any kind of update on this? Yeah, Bert. Um, the, uh, the area where they have made the, the most progress, uh, you and I have talked about the fact that 
the spouse of a deceased veteran uh, or the child uh, under 18 of a deceased veteran can apply for benefits, and they're, they're, they go by uh, the name of Dependency and Indemnity Compensation Benefits. Um, not surprisingly, that gets shortened to DIC, but it's, it's a benefit that's intended to help the surviving spouse to replace the income that the deceased veteran would have provided um, to the spouse or to the child, as the case may be. And when you put one of those cases in, the VA, of course, reviews it and, and acts on it. And what um, what's, what's special about those cases is there are a couple of categories where the grant is essentially automatic. Um, if the person has, if the now deceased veteran has been uh, at the 100% level with the VA or getting total disability uh, based on individual unemployability, TDIU, for a period of 10 years or more, then an entitlement to DIC benefits for the surviving spouse or the child under 18 is automatic. There's also another rule that says that if you've, if you've had uh, 100% benefits since you left the service, if you, if you were sufficiently disabled when you left the service, usually as a result of a catastrophic injury, that you've gotten 100% benefits from uh, the, uh, the time you left the service up until death, then again, that award is automatic. So what the, uh, what the VA has been able to do it generally takes them, uh, when you're talking about doing it in paper, about four months to process an application for DIC benefits, even if it's one of these automatic categories. But with the automation, if the person applies and they're able to fill in all the information required on the form and supply the death certificate, uh, the VA can now turn those around in about four hours in their automated system, which, wow. as you can appreciate, is a huge improvement. The, uh, the unfortunate part is that most DIC benefit claims um, require proof, of, uh, proof that the death was service-connected because they don't fall into these automatic grant categories. And so those, uh, those tend to... You know, take the same length of time as any other VA claim. But there are these special categories, and, and uh, the VA has been able to automate them and to, um, you know, really, really turn that around. I mean, they can, they can probably uh, pay the person as quickly as you can get the death certificate through the state bureaucracy in, in whatever state you're in. Um, so it's, it's really a really a, a big deal for those folks um, unfortunately that's not a large number of the of the claims yet but it it does show a that there are there is potential and B that the VA really is working on it and making progress so uh, those are those are both uh, encouraging things I'm I'm hopeful that um, within the next few years there will be a, a large number of types of benefit claims 
that the VA is able to process quickly. Um, you know, the, the classic claim where the issue is that they're contesting uh, whether in, in a DIC claim, whether the, the cause of death was uh, connected to service, of course, is never going to be quick. But uh, there are a lot of these that can be done pretty quickly, and they are, they are actually making strides toward that, which is nice to see. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Um, speaking of nice to see, I want to talk about uh, uh, the PACT Act. We had recently talked about the PACT Act in the Senate. And uh, any updates on that? Anything happening there? Yeah, Bert. It, it, uh, they were trying to do it for Memorial Day, and they didn't make that. But um, they did finally uh, pass it. Um, in mid-June by uh, 84 to 14, which is uh, overwhelming in the current uh, uh, hot, hotly disputed Senate uh, on, on everything. So uh, it's, it's very impressive that it passed uh, with such a, uh, a high margin. Um, and so that, uh, that is now uh, back to the House, um, and one of two things has to happen. Either the House passes the exact language adopted by the Senate, in which case it's automatically done and the bill goes to the president. Or if the House is unable to agree on the exact language used by the Senate, then it goes to a reconciliation. Uh, and there's a committee of people from the House and from the Senate who get together and, and work out um, whatever the differences are between the House version and the Senate, the Senate version. And then uh, uh, that has to be uh, voted on by both. But uh, it, it looks to me like the House is probably going to pass the Senate version. Um, and uh, there is uh, there's a real chance that this is going to get signed by the president, uh, you know, in, in this in this legislative session um, within the, the next uh, few weeks. So we, we will see the president. Uh, Stepped up and uh, and commented that uh, uh, you know he was he was very pleased to see that this uh, had been done and uh, and it's uh, it's going to uh, uh, move forward. He uh, he in his comments on the act he uh, he commented that uh, he wanted to see uh, Congress make sure that veterans and their families and caregivers who were um, impacted by these various toxic exposures got the benefits in health care they deserved. And he was very pleased to see that the uh, Senate had overwhelmingly passed the bill. And one of the things that uh, is, uh, is particularly uh, of interest uh, for a lot of my clients, what what this bill does, in part, it, it does a lot of different things, but in, in one very important part, it extends the presumption that certain diseases uh, are caused by Agent Orange to folks who were exposed to Agent Orange in Thailand, Laos, and Cambodia. And it's particularly important for uh, the people who served at the Thai air bases because 
large numbers of U.S. Air Force folks were stationed in Thailand at the Royal Thai Air Bases, uh, several different uh, several different Thai Air Bases, and for those folks, even though they have all the classic Agent Orange diseases, whether it's diabetes or cancer or what, whatever particular presumptive disease you're talking about, they have been consistently turned down by the VA for benefits uh, on the theory that the only folks in the Thai bases who uh, were truly likely to have been exposed to Agent Orange were the folks whose job was perimeter security because they were out on the edges of the base where the the Agent Orange was sprayed most heavily. But uh, there are a lot of Air Force folks who were clearly exposed to Agent Orange. I mean, you know, this stuff is is sprayed and it blows around and, and you know, it's not like uh, you can say, well, if you were uh, on this spot, you were exposed, and if you were 12 inches away, you weren't exposed. It, it just doesn't work like that. Right. So this is really a big deal for lots of Air Force vets who've had claims in for years um, that uh, are now, once this bill is uh, is actually uh, signed, uh, are finally going to get the benefits that they've been fighting for for a long time. And that's um, that's really a big deal for a number of our clients, and I'm sure for many, many more veterans around the country. But uh, uh, that's that's a a piece that didn't get a lot of attention when the bill was going forward, but that's in there. And uh, one of the other major pieces of the bill is expanded uh, benefits and health care for um, veterans in the Iraq-Afghanistan theater where uh, the burn pits that we've talked about were so uh, widely used and uh, all kinds of uh, carcinogens were, were distributed in the smoke. Uh, and I, I've noticed, uh, and this is completely off the topic of veterans' benefits, but I've noticed that over the last few years there's been a, uh, a considerable step forward in uh, workers' compensation in a lot of states to provide firefighters with coverage for um, the uh, cancer-causing chemicals in smoke. Um, and it, it's the it's the same problem here, you know, a house fire, a building fire, um, or these uh, big burn pits. They they all burn stuff that you shouldn't be inhaling the smoke from. And whether you're a firefighter or you're a veteran in the in the uh, Iraq theater or Afghanistan, now that stuff just isn't good for you. And and the the country is finally finally stepping up and is going to take care of these folks, which is a nice thing to see. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it, and it just boggles the mind how difficult it is to get this stuff taken care of, because, you know, if you're around some of these chemicals, if you're dealing with smoke from burn pits or a house fire or whatever, it, it, you don't have to be a doctor or a scientist or a brain surgeon to say, hey, that could have some... Uh, negative repercussions being around these chemicals and being around smoke it's i i don't i don't understand what's so hard yeah it's it's one of those things bert that um you you did notice i'm sure that 14 people voted against the bill in, yes. in the senate 
and they were all Republicans, and they were all against the bill, not because of what it does, but because of the price tag. That's, right. that's what that's what this stuff uh, tends to come down to is the price tag. I mean, this this bill, they're talking $300 billion for the VA budget this year when you include this and various other things. That's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. But, but again, and we've talked about this, you know, they, they, they don't seem to have a problem. You know, they don't have a problem using our, uh, you know, the military for these dangerous operations and, 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 um, they just have, for whatever reason, don't see a, you know, I guess they have a problem with paying for the medical bills that are associated with these warlike operations. And I don't know, it just boggles the mind that, uh, you know, that they think like that. But, yeah, it makes total, you know, it's it's an unfortunate thing. But It, it is an unfortunate uh, thing. I mean, you would, and, you would think, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, finish. I, I was just going to say, you, you would think that uh, it would be fairly obvious that if you send people into harm's way, you ought to pay to help them with the the results. But uh, some some people in the Republican Party apparently don't don't agree with that proposition, which is why they voted against the bill. Yeah, and I you know, and I bet you, I'm going to go on a limb here and say 100% of the 14 individuals that voted against the bill did not serve their country in, in, in the military. Right. I think you're yeah. probably right about it, although I haven't checked. <laughs> All right, let me ask you this. Um, I wanted to check back with you about uh, veteran suicide. This is one of those hot topics, and, and it's uh, just something that, uh, you know, you and I have talked about um, any any updates about suicide prevention for our brave men and women? Yeah, um, the the House has been holding uh, hearings, trying to to figure out ways to to better deal with uh, this whole uh, problem of increasing suicides among veterans. And the uh, the little bit of good news that came out of the the hearings. Uh, in terms of the numbers, is that um, in 2019, there were 6,261 veterans that we know of that died by suicide. And that certainly doesn't sound like good news, but the good news part of it is that that is a smaller number than 2017 and 2018. Uh, That's that's the good news. But the... uh, uh, there was a, uh, a House fact-finding hearing and testimony by various people who um, are familiar with the problem. And the um, there were a lot of factors that came to go into this. Uh, people talked about financial strain, unanticipated loss of employment, lack of affordable housing, uh, difficulty accessing health care. And that, you know, these these are readjustment struggles that a lot of veterans face and just find overwhelming and ultimately give up and, and commit suicide. Right. The, the, the other bit of good news in all this is that 
the Biden administration has proposed a fiscal 2023 budget um, for the VA that includes $13.9 billion to improve uh, mental health services for veterans and almost $500 million for veteran suicide prevention initiatives. And you and I talked, I think, the last time about the fact that in May of this year, the, the VA launched a long-term initiative called Mission Daybreak, where they put up $20 million as potential prizes for people who can come up with uh, suicide prevention ideas and programs. So they're they're really working on it. I mean, they're, you know, I, I always pay attention when they're willing to put the money where the mouth is, you know, and they're doing that. So uh, I am hopeful that one of the things we're going to see going forward is a reduction in the suicide rates. I, I, uh, there aren't numbers yet for 2020 and 2021, but candidly, I expect that those numbers are going to go up. The, as, as you know, the, the pandemic really was very burdensome for lots of people. And I, I think, uh, the veteran population is going to have seen a significant increase in suicide in those two years. But hopefully now that the pandemic is, if not behind us, at least um, less in, invasive and, and has less impact than it's had, um, I'm hoping that things are going to improve and that as the VA puts this new money into mental health and suicide prevention, it's going to improve further. But um, the the only way to know that for sure is to wait and see. So that's what we'll have to do. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, you know what? And, and just finally, I wanted to talk about this uh, because, uh, you know, we, we just, speaking of Memorial Day, uh, we just passed Memorial Day and we're coming up on July 4th, um, two of America's most famous holidays. Quickly, give us your take on this. Why is this significant? For the, uh, what is the significance of those holidays for our veterans? Well, Bert, um, Memorial Day actually began in, uh, in the 1860s, and uh, the, the official credit uh, is given to uh, a fellow by the name of John Logan, who was a general in the Union Army and uh, uh, headed up a post-war, post-Civil War um uh, organization called the Northern Civil War Veterans. And in uh, the beginning of May in 1868, he called for a nationwide day of remembrance. Um, the 30th of May, 1868, is designated for the purpose of strewing with flowers or otherwise decorating the graves of comrades who died in the defense of their country during the late rebellion and whose bodies now lie in almost every city, village, hamlet, and churchyard in the land he said. And so wow. uh, that, that was actually the beginning of Memorial Day. And a couple of, of just kind of interesting notes. Um, one of the earliest memorial observ uh, observances was actually organized by a group of uh, former slaves, freed slaves in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, about a month after the Confederacy surrendered in 1865. But the uh, Memorial Day as we know it, became a national holiday in 1971 and is officially to honor 
all those in the military who have died in the various conflicts from the Civil War to the present. The, uh, the other half of your question, the 4th of July, as, as we all know, that um, is a celebration of the birth of our nation. But what a lot of people don't know is that um, much of our military actually began before um, Independence Day in uh, 1776. Um, the, uh, the Army was formed June 14th of 1775. Uh, the Navy in October of that year, and the Marine Corps started as the Continental Marines. Uh, it was formed by a resolution of the Continental Congress on November 10th, 1775, and started recruiting that day in Pennsylvania. And they've, uh, they were originally created as landing troops for the Continental Navy. The, uh, those, those three branches actually predate the... Uh, famous 1776, uh, July 4th uh, date. Um, The the Coast Guard is fairly close. They began in 1790. As you know, the the Air Force and the Space Force are much more recent. But um, July 4th is really um, a a special event for veterans uh, who have uh, have given their um, time and often uh, much more than their time to, uh, to serve the country that uh, celebrates its birthday on July 4th. Yeah, that's incredible. Hey, you know, it, it's just uh, it's amazing uh, that we have forgotten what these holidays represent. Uh, you know, unless you're a veteran, unless you've served, unless you have family that served, most people don't know what Memorial Day is about uh, other than it's a national holiday and, and they get to stay home or they get to have a party. And the same thing for Fourth of July. Uh, and, and these are very, uh, what do you call it? At least, you know, at least for me, the, you know, July 4th is, is such a historic thing and uh, such a historic holiday. And, and really, uh, I think that uh, sometimes we lose sight of its importance, and, and the same thing for Memorial Day. So I'm, I'm glad that uh, that we were able to talk about that a little bit. Uh, thank you for your for your uh, I guess brief history lesson on that to re- help us remember what what these holidays are for. Sure, Bert. Well, we're out of time, and uh, Francis, I want to again say thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate the updates. I also appreciate you and everybody there at uh, Jackson McNichol taking care of our veterans, our brave men and women. And as always, uh, it's, it's just a blast to have you on the show. So thank you so much for stopping by. My pleasure, Bert. It's, it's always nice to have a chance to chat with you. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you again soon. All right. Good stuff there from lawyer Francis Jackson. By the way, save this email, I mean, not email, save this um, uh, website, veteransbenefits.com, veteransbenefits.com. This is what you want to do with it. Uh, First of all, if you know of somebody who has served, who maybe is currently in the service, send it to them. Just say, hey, you know, in case you ever have any questions regarding your benefits, check out veteransbenefits.com and, and, Again, maybe, like I said, they're currently active duty, so they don't need any of this information. Or maybe the people that you know have never complained about their um, disability benefits. By the way, 
that is one of the things that keeps our people suffering in silence is that they don't complain. And so just say uh, to them, hey, you may never need any help with your disability benefits, but in case you do, check out veteransbenefits.com. Also, share this episode with them. Share this episode with everyone you know, uh, just so they understand what's happening and the fact that our veterans have to sometimes fight for what was promised to them. As always, my friends, thank you so much for stopping by. It's an absolute honor to serve you guys, and I appreciate your support. Remember, you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch, and check out our website at moneyforlunch.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.